If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. They're amazing things to have. Uh, I'm going to be, we're going to be in uh, Matthew today. We're, we're in this series uh, called, um, we've called the Upside Down Kingdom. It's a pretty, pretty common phrase uh, that uh, people have used to refer to, to uh, Matthew and his telling of uh, this guy that he knew. Uh, that was more than a guy that he knew, uh, this Jesus. And so Matthew has uh, been telling us things uh, about Jesus. He starts off uh, his, his story about this Jesus with his genealogy uh, and gives us this, this kingly genealogy, but also this genealogy that's it's, it's kingly, but it's also like every man. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kingly, but not off-putting because in this list of him coming, being this descendant of this king, he, Matthew includes all these people that you would not put in it genealogy people of ill repute right here in the genealogy people like if they were in your family tree you'd be like nah let's just skip that person right it's all right there so it's somehow he's near but also elevated right so he introduces us to this jesus this way and then he tells us of his crazy birth right Jesus' birth says that he was born uh, of this woman but uh but it was a virgin birth a uh, birth by the holy spirit so this is amazing and he tells us how the nations come to him. These wise men visit, uh, and then how the world responds to this king that has come in this way. Uh, you have this reaction by Herod, the earthly power that's nearby, uh, where he just responds in great violence and fear, uh, trying to find and, and kill this Jesus that's been born. And, and then Matthew tells us about this, this guy named John the Baptist, crazy dude that dressed funny and ate weird things and kind of lived in a desert. But he's out there proclaiming and saying, hey, there's just one coming after me. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. I'm not even willing to, I, I'm not even worthy of, of uh, touching his sandals, untying his sandals. And then Jesus shows up to be baptized where John's out at the river baptizing. And, and uh, uh, the sun, I'm sorry, the sky splits and the spirit, the uh, Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And this voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in who I am well placed. And then Matthew says that the spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness and he's, and he's tempted in these, these crazy ways by the devil, uh, but he does not in any way give in. And then he begins his ministry. Uh, and uh, Matthew summarizes at the very, before we've even heard Jesus teach yet, he summarizes what Jesus is teaching about and, and says this in 417. Uh, From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is saying out there, his message is there's a kingdom that's at hand. And, and you need to turn away from anything that distracts you from this kingdom. Weird language for us, right? Nobody shows up and is like, hey, there's a new kingdom here. We don't talk that way, right? But for him, this is pretty common language that people would have understood. That, that God's kingdom, this thing that they long for, his rule when humans were promised this flourishing, that they would rule over everything, and then when they lived in peace with one another and with, in harmony, and, and that, that, that kingdom that he established and intended that he tells us back way, about, uh, way back in Genesis, that kingdom, Jesus says, is coming. It's something they've been waiting for and longing for. Somehow God's rule is coming in this powerful way. That's what Jesus has been teaching about. And he says he goes and begins to minister to the crowds. And then kind of we had to slow down just a little bit, right? We covered that, that territory. And we had to slow down a little bit because we get to what's called the Sermon on the Mount, this collection of Jesus' teachings that are ordered in this, this amazing way to, to tell us about uh, so much. And so Jesus begins to teach uh, about the kingdom. And, and he, the way he describes it is just mind-blowing. So Jesus begins teaching uh, about what this kingdom is like. And the first thing that he says when he introduces 
us to this kingdom is here's the people who are going to benefit. Here's the people that you should look at and think, man, those people, they got it going on. They have it made. And, it, and here's how he describes it. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness, uh, the sake of righteousness. So these are the people who are blessed. And, and it just seems so unfortunate because when you look around the world, that's not how you would describe those people. And Jesus says, though, in this kingdom, it's upside down. This is the people. This is what it looks like. These are the people who are blessed because of his presence. And then he begins to teach and give us these commandments and, and, and what it looks like to be salt and light in the world and, and how it's really about a heart issue, not so much your behavior, but, but the heart issue that the behavior flows out of. And he begins to address all of these things. Like, hey, you've heard it said that you don't, uh, you don't, ste- you don't commit adultery or you don't, you don't murder. And I'm telling you, the seed in your heart that leads to those things is what needs to be dug out and changed. You need to be transformed. He begins to teach that. And then he gets to this section in the middle of this sermon that he's preaching, and it includes the Lord's Prayer, and, and he says this. I will start. We did the Lord's Prayer last time, but he says, let's start in verse 16. This is what he says right after he, he teaches them how to pray. He says this. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces <laughs> so that their fasting can be seen by others. Uh, truly, I, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. This is actually just the third. This is the third uh, of the three things that Jesus says that all go together in this teaching um, about you know what, there, there's two things, if I look at my life, that have really had just unbelievable weight in shaping how I've lived and who I am and who I'm becoming. Uh, two things, uh, the first one is the people that I have let tell me what I'm worth. The other thing is the things that I have pursued, the things that I've wanted and desired, and my, my goals and my aims. And those things, by the way, are connected, right? I, often the, the goals and the aims are because of who I want to impress, right? The things that have shaped me so much are the the people that I wanted to be accepted by or the people that I wanted, even without realizing it, to just tell me that I was okay. That everything, that I was good, that I was worthwhile, that 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 I was important. And then the things that I wanted, maybe so those people would tell me that I was important and valuable and good. Like that's had just this unbelievable effect on me because it dictates how you live right like if I want these people over here to think a certain way it affects what I do even when they can't see me I mean one of the reasons that probably that I was a good student in school was because I was praised for it early on and I liked that praise so I studied I was not an athlete was not praised for that didn't really care about it too much 
who I wanted, where I felt valuable is where I spent and invested my time based on this, this audience. I don't know that we grow out of it, though. For kids, it's, it's incredibly powerful. As, as kids, right, like middle school, like uh, it becomes this time when there's this desire. Something happens around 6th, uh, 7th, uh, 8th grade, somewhere in there, when kids want to begin, we, we human beings want to begin to exert some sort of independence, right, in who we are, right? Uh, often this when the seeds of rebellion are put because we're like, well, this is who my parents are and I kind of want to be my own person. It's just kind of natural. It happens. And, and we're very susceptible to what people are telling us and where we feel accepted and, and how we begin to act and how we, how we, what we care about and, and, and what we, who we want to be around. So often, I mean, like, nobody's getting up every day and just go like, you know what, these people that reject me and hate me and treat me mean every day, I'd really like to go hang out with them. No, it's the places that we feel accepted. It's the places that we feel are valuable. And that, that's just really incredibly important. I, I think it's one of the reasons, I, I, one of the many reasons I worry so much about, about social media. Now, I probably shouldn't talk about it so much, right? You know? But it's such a big part of our lives, right? And it's such a new thing, right? It's a brand new experiment in human history, right? Just, you know, shoving screens in front of our faces 24 hours a day. That's a new thing that's never happened before. So uh, how do we wisely think about it and navigate it? So especially for young kids who are going through this, trying to navigate who they are, to give them access to all of that, that's at least concerning, right? That should at least concern us. And not just that, but how we begin, it teaches us and trains us to do this thing that we already naturally want to do, is to display or present a certain... I don't know, a certain facade, a certain way that I want to be seen and perceived, a certain, I don't know, character that I want to play. And that temptation and that access, that easy access to those things, I mean, at the very least, even if you're, if you, if you're like, oh, he's going to like, you know, don't watch Seinfeld, you know, whatever, like that kind of old, like, I get it, I'm an old man. I get, but I mean, like, at least we can say and by the way, if you want the scientific data, I can get it to you. That's having an effect on us. So for kids especially, right? Like, it's a thing that we need to think about because they're very, very much in the midst of trying to figure out who they're going to be. And so much of that is dictated by who they want to see them. Who gets to tell me I'm valuable and important? It's had a huge impact on me, um, uh, who I wanted to be, uh, and, and, and what I became, and, and who I still even am. Uh, I don't know that we grow out of it, it just we kind of it takes on more acceptable forms, or we get better at hiding, at it, hiding it. Uh, I think I was probably a pastor for seven or eight years before I would actually tell strangers that I was a pastor. Like, I just people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm an engineer. And we, at the time, I would say that, like, I was, like, doing pastoral work, like, 99% of my time. 1% of the time I was doing engineering work, but I saw my, so I just, people are engineer. And at first, I was like, ah, it's just because I don't want to have that conversation, you know. Here's what I realize now, looking back. A lot of the times, it was because I didn't think that was a valuable job. That's not true. I knew what I was doing was valuable. It just didn't seem productive, and the part of my brain that says you have to be a productive person to be a valuable member of society wouldn't let me say, I'm a pastor out loud. Because there's no real metric for judging how good I am at that, is there? <laughs> and so I'd be like, hey, I'm an engineer. I do valuable things. We build things. You've seen them. 
And I felt good about myself, right? You know, because there's an actual number. When you have a secular job, it's really nice. One of the nice things about it was, or one of the dangerous things for me, uh, is that, that there's an, how much am I worth? There's an actual number. They give it to you every two weeks. That's it right there. That's a pretty good number. I'm worth a lot. Feels good. Like it, you know? And so I don't know that we grow out of wanting people to think about us a certain way or looking towards people. And, 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 and then the things that we have to maybe impress those people or to feel a certain security about life. And it's in the middle of this sermon, a couple thousand years ago, that Jesus addresses the psychology that exists in all of us. This way of being human. And the way he does it is in this amazing, amazing, tender way. Like it's... Oh, it's so beautiful. So there's three things that he's talked about, right? The first thing that he talks about uh, um, before the prayer was beware of practicing your righteousness, uh, sorry, uh, uh, the giving. Verse chapter 262, uh, sorry, chapter six. You know what? I'm gonna start over because those words were all in the wrong order. Some of them weren't even words. At the beginning of this chapter, after six, verse two, he talks about giving to the needy. When you give to the needy, don't sound like a bunch of trumpets like the hypocrites do. Uh, they do that so they can be praised. Instead, give in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Giving, do it in secret. Then he goes on to praying, the Lord's Prayer that we just talked about. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Stand on the corners. Uh, stand high in the synagogues so that they can be seen by others. I'm telling you, they've already received their reward. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who's in secret, he'll reward you. And then when you fast, so fasting's not something that we necessarily do uh, think about so much these days, it's maybe not in the front of our, our, our thinking, but these are pretty much like if you're a religious person, if you were a Jewish person listening to Jesus, and he's like, hey, here's how you give, pray, and fast, that's kind of, here's how you be a disciple. Here's how you be Here's how you be religious, right? You give, you pray, you fast. And so... Uh, He's addressing the things that they were very familiar with, very common things. And he says, hey, when you fast, when you don't eat, some of you out there, like you're getting up and not washing your face. Why? Because I'm fasting and I need everybody to see it. Like this subtle thing, you know, like I got everybody, everybody needs to know that I'm fasting so they can see how righteous and religious I am, right? The things that they do, Jesus says, there's a tendency for you to want to do that for an audience so they praise you. Now, I would argue that it's not just religious places that we do it. We as humans just do that. We need others to see and praise us. We, it doesn't have to always be in a religious context. We want people to look at us and go, look at that person, they're a good person, way to go. Or look at them, they're valuable, they matter. We want people to see us. And Jesus says, this is what you do. When you do this, when you're performing to show others, we're performing for people, what we're saying is, you get to say to me, I want you to see what I do, and I want you to say back to me how good I am and how valuable I am. I don't know, we think that when we do it, but that's what we're doing. And Jesus says, hey, there's no need for you to do that. You don't have to perform for other people so that they tell you that you're okay. You don't have to perform for other people so that they tell you they're valuable. The biblical word for this, by the way, the Bible talks about this a lot. Uh, It's just, you might not recognize it, but the word's righteousness. When the Bible talks about righteousness, that's what it's talking about. 
Hey, Jesus starts this whole section out. Don't perform your righteousness for others because when you perform your righteousness for others and they see you and they see that and they applaud you and perform you, that's your reward. Congratulations. When you... When you present a thing to the world in whatever way that you do it and the world praises you for it, that's the reward. You get it. Even if you're doing it in religious contexts, that's the reward. Why would we look to God for anything else? He wasn't our audience in the first place. And Jesus, Jesus is this amazing thing, this amazing teaching. Don't have to do this. You don't have to perform for others to feel good about yourself. There's a better way. Um, I, uh, I quit I quit playing guitar, like seriously, like I thought I was going to be a guitar player at one point, I know it's, it's embarrassing, but I thought I was going to get to do that, like it may be just on the side, you know, uh, but I remember, I remember the moment I quit, uh, I was playing in this little band for like nine people, don't, don't think it was a thing, uh, nine people, I don't know how many people were there, but some of the people we knew were there, and so we're playing, having a great time, and I, it's my time for this solo, and I've been working on it for months, and um, uh, the solo goes, and I just, I mean, like, using all of, like, I did everything that I could. Uh, Lydian scale, fridge, like, just crazy weird modes, inside, outside. I was pleased with myself. The end of the show, one of our buddies walked up to me. He's like, dude, what did you do? That was amazing. I'm like, oh, man. It's the Lydian, the, the mixing, the, the, the five, like, I'm explaining to him what I did, and he took my guitar from me and just did it. I was like, you know what? We're done here. You know what? I, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I, this is insane. I, I, there are people in the world like this. Like, what am I doing? But there was a time that I wanted to be able to do that, right? I wanted to be able to wear leather pants. You know? I just can't do that, you know? I wanted to be in a band. And so uh, I, imagine this. Imagine that I, have, I, play, I play a solo so good, Jimi Hendrix comes back from the dead. If you don't know who Jimi Hendrix is, He's, the greatest, he's just one of the greatest guitar players ever left. So Jimmy, I, I play a guitar solo so good that Jimmy Hendrix comes back from the dead and he comes up to me and he's like, hey, Chris, that was unbelievable. And, and Jimmy Page shows up, he's another, and he's like, you did unbelievable. This is unreal. I can't believe you did it. A bunch of jazz guys you've never heard of. Like, oh, so mind-blowing, Chris. And I ignore all of them and I pick up on my call, like my high school friend, I'm like, hey, did you hear that solo? It was pretty good, yeah? And he's like, nah, it wasn't that good. I'm like, what? And I get all upset and bent out of shape. If I told you that, after the show, I'm like, I called Jimmy, and Jimmy was just like, he said it was, and he would have done this instead of that, and I'm just losing my mind. You would be like, what's wrong with you, man? Jimmy Hendricks, Jimmy Page, all these great guitar players told you it was amazing. Why do you care what he thinks? Why would you exchange the glory of these people who know so much more for this guy? You would think that I was crazy and lost my mind. But here's the deal. I live every day of my life that way. Every day, there are people, I have to fight the urge to impress you over doing what God's called me to do. Why do I want your praise as a pastor more than I want to hear my father's? It's just inside of us. It's such this broken, weird place inside of us where we would desire the praise. Sometimes some of us, I'm on this list as well. We need strangers to tell us we're okay or we're going to lose our minds this day. You know what I mean? Why do we do this? Why do we 
I think, first of all, we're programmed. We're programmed, somehow we're wired where we need others to tell us that we have value. Why would we surrender to people like Jimmy, my friend growing up, instead of these people that know more? Why would I surrender to even you guys who love me? Why would I surrender to trying to get your praise over the praise of my father? We're wired for it, right? Because we need that because we're made for this relationship with God. And it's so wired inside of us, so deep, that we will take it in almost any place we can find it. Almost any place. People that I come from terrible, terrible situations, but that's where they feel home. I so often, you're around them, and you can feel them getting better sometimes and seeing them getting better, but the second they feel uncomfortable, they'll go back to a bad situation where they feel okay. Even if it's a bad situation. Unreal. The desire that is inside of us that can only be filled by the God who created us, we will take from lesser sources all day long. And Jesus says to me and to these people that are listening to him, you don't have to do that. Let me give you something better. If you stop performing for them and stop longing for them and instead go in secret to your father, who loves you, and you do your fasting and your praying and your almsgiving, your giving for him, not for yourself, not for selfish reasons, you do it for him, he not only sees you, he sees you, values you and loves you, but he'll reward you. So often I think that the Christian faith is like, hey, just do a bunch of this stuff. Fix these things, fix these things, fix these things, fix this. Do this, Chris. Do that, Chris. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Ah, you did it again. And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning by that point. You know? That's not what this says, though. This is instead, this is not just like, hey, Chris, don't do that or I'm going to get you. This is, this is an offer for an exchange. If you will exchange the praise of others for the praise of your father. Not only will you get the praise of your father, but you'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded. He'll reward you. Now, here in the text at this point, it's a little unclear what that reward might be. He's not very specific, but the meaning is clear. It's way better than what you're currently getting. Now, as we follow Jesus' life, we learn what this reward is. So this is it. So he, he addresses this idea of that I, the audience that I'm performing for, right? He addresses this need that I have to perform for an audience that is not him and says, you can give that up. I promise you, your father sees you and will reward you. Even in your religious practices, do those things for him, him as the audience. And he doesn't say, just kill it, He says, replace it with something better. Replace it with something better. Um, One of the reasons this is such good news is performing for others is so fickle. They change. What we want changes. What they demand changes. And what we can get from them eventually will just go away and consume us. Instead, this reward of the Father. And then Jesus goes, says this uh, in the next section. We're moving into the next section, but I kind of want to see how these two things address uh, two big issues in our life. So, so for who you perform for and then, and then what you perform for. Don't lay up for yourself. This is verse 19. 
Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Verse 19, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money, or the old translations, God and mammon, which means stuff. Also, I think, you know what, I'm not getting into that. Another time. Okay, I'm going to. Uh, just quick, real quick. I think there's like an idea of mammon. Is like there's like a force behind that. I think there's like a spiritual force. When we say money, we don't think about there being a spiritual force behind it. When you say God and mammon, it's things, stuff, and the forces behind them. All right, that's all I have to say about that for now. Uh, you can't serve both. So here he says this. Uh, it's not just who you perform for, but, but what you perform for. So... Look, you can lay up treasures here, stuff here. Uh, that, can, that doesn't have to just be material things. It can be the praise of people. But you're, you're adding up, storing up here on earth treasures. Um, moth is nature's, corrust, uh, uh, nature's uh, uh, corrosive force. Um, and then you have rust, which is time's corrosive force. And you have thieves, which is uh, our a corrosive force, human sins, uh, a corrosive force. So uh, we have all of these things and these treasures, uh, they go away. And Jesus is saying, do not invest in things that will one day be dust, right? No matter how much, I think we invest so much in things in this world because, I, well, there's one of the ways, let me say this, one of the ways that we can invest in things in this world is believing that they give us security, all right? If I have enough, then everything will be Okay. If I have enough for this and for that, and then everything will be fine. And, and the problem is, is that even if we do have enough and we do have all of the things lined up, one day those things are going away. Time takes everything. The world is headed in that direction, right? And so Jesus says, you spend so much of your time and so much of your effort and so much of the next section concern on things that you cannot hold on to. Why don't you instead invest in something better? invest in something that will not turn to dust, something that lasts longer. So and then he says this weird part, right, which is fine, right? Yeah, treasures in heaven, treasures on earth, got it. But then he says this weird thing, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, okay. Where your goal is, where your aim is, where your desire is, that's where your heart, what you care about and are consumed with will be, yeah? And then he says this, the eyes of the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I'm sorry, what? What? Like, okay, all right. So he's talking about what we desire and what we, where we lay up treasures. And he starts talking about the eye. Um, your eye being the thing that you... Your goal, your aim, your desire. Um, If the lamp of your life uh, is your goal, uh, if your goal is sound, then your whole life will be light, right? Enlightened. And if your goal is bad, your desire, your aim is bad, then your whole life is going to be full of of darkness. 
It says in Proverbs 22, it says that your eye, a good eye is generous and an evil eye is loveless. The thing that we desire, the thing that we long for, when we eye things that are temporary in here, that corrupts. Uh, one person said it this way. In our relationship with things, our whole life is exposed. Somebody else said it this way. If the eye is not clear on this matter of money and property, the whole of one's life is perverted. Let's say it, let me say it this way. If what we want and desire, our goal and our aim, is bad, it can blind us to everything else. It's one of the tricky things about greed. Nobody thinks they're greedy. <laughs> you know, people are poor, they're like, hey, I'm poor, I can't be greedy. I've been poor, well, I was greedy. Not poor, poor, but you know, I didn't have money, and I was like, you know, still greedy. You know what? I've been greedy at every economic bracket that I've ever hit, <laughs> right? I've wanted more, and what I had, I fought to hang on to. You know Why? Because that's one of the things that just blinds us. And Jesus comes in and doesn't, he's, I love this, like if I were, like, he doesn't stand up and be like, guys, you're greedy, quit it, knock it off. He doesn't say that. He's like, you're investing in the wrong thing, let me offer you something better. You're investing in things that are causing you anxiety because they crumble. And the th- weird thing is that we, when we build up things for security, we only get anxious about the security being gone one day, right? We, when we, we depend on these things for everything to be okay, we just constantly worry that the security blanket's gonna be taken away, and it affects who we are. The audience and our aim, these things have been powerful, powerful influences in shaping who we are and who we will be. And Jesus doesn't come along saying, guys, knock it off. He comes along and says, hey, let me show you a better way. Make God your audience, Hey, you know what? Let me show you a better way. You're anxious about the things here that provide you security. I got a better way for you. How about instead, how about instead you trade all of those things that are ashes for something far more beautiful? The song we sang earlier, uh, based off of uh, uh, Isaiah 61. Um, I got to find it. I'm going to find it. This is Isaiah talking. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, right? I, I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor. That's what he says. To, uh, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. I have been sent to tell everybody who is depressed, downtrodden, locked out, locked up, there's freedom. Jesus takes these words for himself later. Uh, or maybe I better said, the gospel writers realize that these were always about Jesus in the most fullest sense. Yeah? All right. So, uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisoners to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to conf- comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they might be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. 
This is the great exchange of Christianity. We hold on so tightly to ashes. We hold on so tightly to other people's opinions because we're constantly afraid that we're not okay and we need somebody to tell us we're okay. And we are so worried because we have no control over the future, so we try to build up security out of even these ashes. And God says, Jesus comes and says, hey, if you'll give me those things, I'll give you something better. If you give me the ashes, I will give you a headdress of praise, of beauty. I will change these things out for you. We so much long for these things, need these things. And he says at the end of this section, you're going to choose one day. I think we kind of want a 90-10 deal, right? I think I want a 90-10 deal most day. Hey, God, 90% I'm going to trust you, but also this 10% I need this thing over here too, right? Like, hey, the eternity, the trusting, the headdress, all those things on it. Also, I really want these people to like me. Or I really need this stuff, right? I really need this thing. So how about you let me have both these things? And he's like, ah, like what are you doing? You can't do that. Jesus is like, you can't, you can't really do that because here's the thing. There's two different aims, right? There's two different goals. And so sometimes there's a time in your life when maybe some of these things overlap and you get comfortable having the things that you want and, what, and, and doing the things that Jesus says. But there's going to come a day, one day, in this comfortable spot when all of a sudden the aims of these two things are different and you will choose one or the other because you'll have to. He's like, ah, I can't give you the 90-10. I can't do it because there's going to come a day when you've got to choose. It's not good for us. And so he says, listen, you can't, choose, you can't serve both these things, so you're going to have to pick. Are you going to choose building a sandcastle out of ashes or the eternal reward that your father offers you? Because they're in conflict with one another at some point. They will come in conflict, and you have to choose. And who and what you choose will shape you and will consume you. So what we do then as Christians, what we do. Here, let me, let me, let me tell you what to do. I encourage you what to do. How about that? Look to the life. Look to, look to Jesus. <laughs> look to Jesus. I wish I. I, this is, I know. I'm a one trick pony. Like I, they all in this way. It's the same thing he says every week. I know. I told you that. But if you, like if, but you came back because you forgot. I did too. Look, you look to Jesus. You look to not just His teaching here, but the life that He goes and then lives. Not just the life that He lives, but also the death that He dies, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glory given to Him because of who he is and what he's done. And then you realize that the reward that is promised to us when we serve God instead of trying to serve other people, when we build up treasures in heaven instead of building up treasures here, well, you realize that the reward that is offered to us is nothing less than what can be said about Jesus can be said of you and me. Child of the king. Loved. Brought into the house forever. Like that is the focus for us. So we look at the life of Christ, and so, uh, okay, great, how do we do that? Value church. Like that's what we do here, by the way. The reason we show up here every single week and we do these things is because I need to be constantly and consistently 
pointed to that reality, to that truth, to be reminded week in and week out of the great love of my Father for me so I do not exchange that beauty for ashes. So when we sing these songs together, right? When we read scripture together, when we open the text together and look at what Jesus has said and what he did and what he's like and what he's revealed to us and what he's promised us, these things shape me to live instead of letting the ashes and the opinions of others shape me to live. These things affect us and shape us. We look to these things. We praise these things. We talk about these things. We, we, we dream about these things. We, we, we sing about them. We talk about just constantly reminding ourselves of the beauty that is offered to us in Jesus Christ because this is how much our sin costs and also how deeply loved we are. And so we run to him when we stumble and fall, when we want the wrong things. We run to him constantly. We run to him when things are hard and we run to him when things are good. And he helps us order our loves and point us towards heaven. How many people thought I was going to do the mud pie story by C.S. Lewis? Ah, you all did. You all did. You all thought I was going to use the mud pie story about C.S. Lewis, but I didn't. Instead, I'm going to use this one. Lewis says that... um, One of the beautiful things about living this life is that if you aim at the earth, you'll get neither the earth nor heaven. If you aim at heaven, you often get earth thrown in. It's where our aim is, where our goal is, where our value is, who we want to tell us that we are valuable. And you want to know how valuable you are? There's the cross. You want to know what your future looks like? There's the cross. This is how loved you are. So we come here to remind ourselves of that each week, to aim ourselves at heaven, not because life is not valuable, not because it's not beautiful and good, but because if we aim at heaven, we often get earth thrown in as well. The joy and the peace here and now that he's promised as we learn to live in this, what seems to us to be an upside down kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, for his goodness, for... For giving us tools to navigate this world. Addressing my brokenness and my need, my pursuit of the praise of others. So often I'm willing to give in to lesser appetites, thinking that my passions are too strong when they are really too weak. I'm, I'm, I'll settle for lesser things when you've offered me so much more. So this morning, Father, may we just see how real you are. And that you and what you have said to us is truer than the parent wounds that we have. It's truer than the relationship wounds that we have. It's truer than the people's opinion who do not like us, do not love us, those who won't forgive us. What you have said about us and to us is truer, more real, more valuable. May we take great comfort in your words and in your teaching and in your love. Make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.